Welcome to the sermon ministry of River Community Church, a congregation of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church located in Prairieville, Louisiana. Our purpose is to help people live in and live out the good news of Jesus Christ. We welcome you to worship with us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and to learn more about us at rivercommunity.org. Please remain standing for the word of God from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, 31 to 34. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Let's pray. Father, this word is a disturbing word. We are told that one of your beloved is being sifted like wheat. Father, this word has been given to us because it is for your disciples. It is something for all generations of your people to know and to learn from. And so, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give us ears to hear by your Holy Spirit to receive both the warnings and the exhortations and the comforts of this text as we seek to be your disciples today. Father, be over me in the preaching. May your Holy Spirit anoint what is said, that it would be a faithful exposition of the word, that it would be simple, that it would be clear, and that, Father, it would have your power in it as we hear it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved, today we do turn to the most tragic chapter in the story of the life of Peter that is recorded, the story of Peter's denying Jesus the night that he is arrested. This is part of our series that has been going through the Apostle Peter's life as a disciple. And the purpose of this series called Follow Me is to grasp through the life of Peter what the command of Jesus on all of his disciples to follow me means. And so we have seen that follow me means to respond to him with faith, to profess him, to be convicted of our sin, to take up our cross and follow him. It it means to cleave to him and his word. Last week we saw in the foot washing in John chapter 13 that a disciple is one who is to live by the cross, because by the cross we know God, by the cross we are cleaned, and by the cross we learn how to serve one another. This week we progress in the story of the last week of Jesus' life before the resurrection, and we see this passage where we are told that Peter is going to deny Jesus three times. This text is a challenging text. 
Peter has his faith tested brutally. And he falters. He denies Jesus three times. He is sifted like wheat. This is such an important passage in the the making of, of Peter as a disciple and such an important passage for us to glean the lessons of discipleship from that we're actually going to be spending two weeks looking at this event. We're going to be looking at this uh, from the perspective of the issue of testing in the Christian's life, as well as the issue of God's redeeming our failures. It is this week that we look at at testing, and, and next week we look at redeeming. In this passage, we are frightfully reminded that a disciple's faith will be tested. Testing is not uncommon to the disciple. In fact, Peter in his first epistle wrote to his young congregation in chapter 1, verse 6, Now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Peter is acknowledging that these Christians are enduring trials. What's more, he says, if necessary, which is to say that trials that come upon Christians have a necessity about them. They are common, and when they happen, they have a necessity to them. What does this mean? Why is Peter tested? Why are disciples tested? I believe that as we look at this text, we're going to see that that testing comes upon the disciple to teach us lessons for our perseverance. So this week, I want us to look at our text and see three lessons the true disciple learns from his or her faith being tested. Again, next week we will continue the story and learn two more lessons. But for now, let us look at three lessons the true disciple learns by his or her faith being tested. The first lesson that we learn is this. The enemy is mighty. The enemy is mighty. It's important to put this passage in context. These words that Jesus speaks to Peter are at the Last Supper. They have just had the sharing of the bread and the wine. Jesus is with his 12 disciples. At this time, uh, Judas has likely left. But there there is a person in the room that we fail to realize is there until Jesus says these words. He says, Simon, Satan, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. Satan was there at the Last Supper. Satan was working on Judas, bringing about his great betrayal. And now we are told Satan has worked upon Simon. Before we go even any further, beloved, we need to grasp the gravity of this reality 
the spiritual presence of Satan is often near God's people. It is always at work. Some of the most frightening verses in the Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 through 15, say this, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise them as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Beloved, the Lord's Supper with the presence of Satan reminds us that that the attack of the evil one upon the people of God happens even in the midst of the people of God. It happens even when we think that it is only the people of God. It happens in church. And so what is Satan doing here? Satan's mission is always to destroy the kingdom of God. And if you follow through the Gospels, you see that Satan comes to Jesus to to try and tempt him and stop him from his mission. And he keeps seeking opportune times. And now it is clear that his mission, which includes putting him on the cross to, 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 to get rid of him, the power of darkness, as the Gospels tells us, has also now included an attack upon the disciples. Satan is doing a multi-pronged approach to destroy the kingdom. Why Peter? Why are we told that Peter has been the one that Satan has singled out? It is because he is the one Jesus has called the rock the one that he says, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It is those words that Satan has picked up on and has identified Peter as the one that he must obstruct and destroy. He wants to destroy the rock of the church. This is Peter's first encounter with the evil one. But if you go through the book of Acts, you will see the evil one is constantly working to oppose inside and outside the establishment of the church. And so Peter will know this enemy well in his ministry. The enemy is mighty. What are the tactics that we see the enemy using? Jesus tells Peter that he is going to be sifted like wheat. Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. How does does Satan sift someone? How How does he tear that person apart? Well, if we study the scriptures, we'll see that there are four main approaches to the enemy's attack. First, we know him as the tempter. He seeks to place temptation in our hearts to disobey God, to not follow. He always presents something delightful to us that seems innocent or worthwhile or better than the consequences. And he draws us away. 
You know, the second way that we see Satan attack is through deceiving. He is the deceiver. And in John 8, 44, Jesus calls him the father of lies because he has been lying from the beginning. Remember the story in Eden where the serpent comes up to Eve and absolutely contradicts God's word. You will not surely die. And Eve was deceived. He lies. Third, we we see that he is an accuser. He is constantly there to throw in in the face of people, the reasons they are disqualified, the reasons they cannot be loved, the reasons they are judged and condemned. He lays heavily upon all people their judgment by accusing them. A story of this is in the book of Zechariah chapter 3. There's this vision of the, um, the high priest standing before the throne of God and he is covered in filthy garments. The filthy garments represent his sin. And we are told that Satan was standing beside God to accuse, to point to all of the unholiness and uncleanness of this high priest, to make him know he is disqualified. And the fourth way that we see Satan sift is that he is our adversary. He is constantly plotting how to stop the advancement of the kingdom. And we know from Scripture that Satan cannot possess a Christian. But we also know that Satan can definitely work through others who will oppose and be violent and obstructive to Christians. And so the adversary can come against us by bringing people and plots and agendas against the advancement of the kingdom of God. He may not be able to stop us, but he can put people around us to stop us. And the most horrifying picture of that is the plot of the crucifixion. Satan is mighty. We do ourselves no favors to to avoid that fact. He will sift Peter. And so from this first lesson, we need to take this away. Do not underestimate the enemy. Do not think that he is a joke. Do not think that he has no power to to, to do all sorts of things. Recognizing that Peter was sifted like wheat by Satan gives us great import when we hear his words to that church that he wrote to in his first epistle. In chapter 5, verse 8, he says, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Satan is like a hungry, roaring lion. And as you would be terrified of the presence of a roaring, hungry lion in your midst, you should not take lightly the work of Satan. Our enemy 
is mighty. And the second lesson that we learn from this passage feeds into that first one. Not only is the enemy mighty, but lesson two, our will is wimpy. Our will is wimpy. I like the word wimpy. We don't usually use the word wimpy, but this is what we must grasp if we're going to understand the battle and the situation that that testing brings out. Lesson two, Jesus shows Peter is, you're actually wimpy. Look at verse 31b, the second part of verse 31. That he might sift you like wheat. Here's the thing about the word sift. Sifting is easy. Sifting is a low energy activity, and it happens quickly. When Jesus says Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat, he is saying you aren't a hard target. You are going to be sifted, and it's going to be pretty easy, and it's going to be pretty fast. How shocking must it have been when Jesus, in verse 34, says, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Within a few hours, Peter will be at the place of denying Jesus three times. Jesus is saying to Peter, the first disciple, the the rock of the church, your fall is certain and soon. What troubling words. Why is it certain? Why is it certain? We we need to recognize here uh, the, the the, the concurrence between what Jesus says will happen and the human actions and human personality and human disposition of Peter that is going to feed into this happening. You see, this, this, this prophecy is not fulfilled because Peter is a robot and, and just can't help but, but do what, what is said here. This is going to happen because Peter, in who he is, responding to the events that are coming before him, will place himself in failure. And so it is appropriate for us not to just say, well, it was prophesied, therefore there's obviously no human will involved in this. God's God's just heavy-handedly making this happen. No, the way that this comes to pass is by the will and acts and disposition and choices made by Peter. And so as we look at this last night that leads up to Peter's denial, we do well to examine this and discover in it the anatomy of a fall. As we have already established, testing comes upon disciples then we need to recognize how that testing proceeds to a fall. And look at Peter's 
actions as an anatomy of a fall. We're going to see that there are four steps that go into the anatomy of a fall. There is first, overconfidence. There is second, spiritual neglect. Then there is third, fearfulness. And finally, there is being in compromising places. Let us go through each of these and and understand them. The first step that we see in, in Peter's fall begins with overconfidence. Now look at Luke chapter 22, verse 24. This is astounding. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. The disciples at the Last Supper are having an argument about which one of them is the greatest. Do you realize that this argument is actually coming after Jesus has washed their feet? And yet they are still posturing for greatness. Now, Peter probably thinks, whether he says it or not, that he's the greatest. I mean, he's, he's been with Jesus the longest. He's seen the most uh, miracles of Jesus. He's had more private times with Jesus. Jesus has shared more one-on-one teaching with him. Peter, Jesus has announced that Peter is, is the rock upon which the church is going to be built. There has to be a sense in the back of Peter's mind, I, I'm the greatest. And then, with those thoughts bouncing around in his head, Jesus speaks to him and says, Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. Notice Jesus says Simon two times. Simon, Simon, that's a way for getting his attention. Quit thinking about your greatness, Simon, and listen to me. I have something very important to say to you. And notice the words, the the name that Jesus calls Peter at this time. He is not saying Peter, Peter, or rock, rock. He is calling him by his first name, Simon, Simon. Why? Because, Simon, you're not the rock right now. Simon, you're seeking to be the greatest. You're not the rock right now. Verse 33, look at verse 33. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Those words reveal a good heart. But it's it's death. Peter is disagreeing with the, the thing that Jesus said. It's he's he's arguing, basically saying, You don't know me. You may think that Satan's going to sift me, but I am ready. It's prideful. 
We look at the parallel in this conversation in Mark chapter 14, verse 29. Peter adds, they may, the other disciples may abandon you, but I never will. Peter's response, as well-meaning as it is, is foolish. He is not responding to the warning to receive instruction, to hear his Lord saying something that is for his benefit to pay attention to. He's trying to block it out. And so that leads us to the second step, the spiritual neglect. Let us look at what happens next. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark 14, chapter 32, and and we'll read on. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is not enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. You see, Peter leaves, not responding to the warning that Jesus gives to him, and goes into the garden, and Jesus is there preparing, and he is praying, and he asks Peter, Watch, pay attention. And Peter sleeps. I understand Peter sleeping. Peter was tired. These days are long. But the Lord comes to him and says, you need to pray. The flesh is weak. You need to pray. And Peter did not use this time to pray and prepare. He did not take the the words that were given to him at the Last Supper as an opportunity to to work himself up in prayer and vigilance. Jesus quotes the Lord's prayer to him and and basically says, pray that you are not led into temptation. This is where your power is. But he neglected the resources of spiritual strength. He is left ungirded. The words in 1 Peter 5.8 before speaking of the roaring lion tell us to be sober-minded and vigilant. But Peter was not. Peter's lack of of spiritual strengthening 
left him ungirded and weak. He could have been praying, deliver me from the evil one, but instead he slept. And so spiritual neglect is the second step. I appreciate one of my professors in uh, seminary said that breakdown in spiritual duty is breakdown in spiritual discipline. You see, he fails to gird himself in prayer and spiritual neglect leads next to being controlled with fearfulness. We move into the arrest. Judas and the guards come and we see at that moment the next thing that that Peter does in response. All of these guards come around and he grabs his sword And he goes and he chops at the the high priest's servant. He chopped off his ear. Why did Peter chop off his ear? I'll tell you why. He was aiming for the head, but he isn't any good with a sword. And so he ended up only cutting off the ear. But here we see Peter, in the arrest, he is is falling into fear and he is acting in panic. He is not composed like Jesus. He is not prayed up. And so he sees the guards and he he responds as as he does often impulsively and out of fear. And he grabs his sword and is so close to making this a, a, a situation of great disaster. But Jesus is arrested. The plan does not change. And what does Peter do next? Even though all of the other disciples scatter, Peter says, no, I am going to stay with my Lord. And he follows at a distance. We read these words in Luke 22, starting at verse 54. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. The fourth step in Peter's fall is placing himself in a compromising situation. Peter is is still driven by his sense of self-confidence that he is going to, to be faithful, that he will go to prison and to death if he has to. And so he charges on and he places himself alone and among enemies in this courtyard. 
And there he is, totally vulnerable to being sifted like wheat. So that in that compromising situation, amongst unfriendly faces and unfriendly persons, and great fear and turmoil about what is happening, Peter starts denying Jesus. It's not before a man with a sword. It's not before the, 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 the judge that he crumbles. It's before a servant girl. Aren't you with him? No. You see, in compromising places, we find it easy and quick to fall. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, this, these words, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Beloved, we see that if we are living in the moment, then the moment has all the power. And so these four steps, overconfidence, spiritual neglect, fearfulness, and being in compromising places has brought about a complete fall. He has denied Jesus three times, and the rooster crows. Be sober-minded and watchful. When Peter is an old man writing to his church, as he warns his disciples about the devil as a roaring lion, he says, be sober-minded and watchful. Those are hard-earned words that he is passing on to us. Be sober-minded and watchful. Beloved, where are you in danger? Where are you overconfident? Are you in a state of spiritual neglect? How is your prayer life? Where are you centered? Are you filled with fear? Are you living in the circumstances? Are you focused on the dangers? Are you placing yourself in compromising situations where you are particularly weak to temptation and particularly easy for sifting? Beloved, when we look at this second lesson that our will is wimpy, take heed lest you fall. Be sober-minded and watchful. Our will is wimpy. Our enemy is mighty. But thank God, lesson three, Jesus is almighty. Jesus is almighty. Peter's fall was tragic. But it was not the end. Why? Well, go back to Luke 22, and look at verse 32. I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Though Satan is strong, 
He is not sovereign. Look at verse 31. Satan demanded to have you. Now the word demanded is is strong and harsh, but at baseline the word demanded is in the category of asking. Satan came to God to ask permission to be able to sift Simon. You ask permission of the one that is more powerful, more mighty. And so we see that that, that Satan here is simply living under the permitted will of God. Now, why would Christ permit this? Why would Christ not just say to Satan, be gone? You have no place and no opportunity to sift Peter. Well, that is why we need to recognize when Peter says, if necessary, you have been tested. Our sovereign Lord, our Savior Jesus Christ, determines that sometimes it is necessary for our testing and for Peter. It was permitted because Jesus wants to teach Peter what he desperately needs to know to be the rock of this young church. And that is this. You are not kept by your strength, but by mine. You will fall in yourself, but I will never fail you. Those are the lessons that that Peter wants, uh, needs to learn, and those are the lessons that we are given today. Beloved, you are not kept by your strength, but by the Lord's. Beloved, if it is in yourself that you are trying to persevere, you will fall. But in the Lord, you will never fail. You see, Jesus is keeping Peter through it all. Even as Peter is swelled up with thoughts of greatness, Jesus is interceding. But I am praying for you that your faith may not fail. And don't lose sight of what's affirmed in that statement that your faith may not fail. As bad as what happened to Peter, as as ultimate as, as denying Jesus three times seems, Even at the worst of it, Jesus says his faith did not fail. Even at the lowest moment, even at the the utterance of the third denial, Jesus says his faith did not fail. Peter never lost his faith. Why? Not because Peter had the strength to continue to believe but because Peter's faith is vouched and held by Jesus. It is God's power that keeps our faith alive. And that is why uh, Peter's faith does not fail, even though it is greatly tested. Jesus is interceding for Peter at, at the place of his overconfidence. 
at his place of, of lethargy where he is sleeping and being in spiritual neglect. He comes to him out of the depths of Gethsemane to warn and teach him, Peter, pray. Your flesh is weak. Can you imagine? Is there not enough on Jesus' mind? He is praying to, to God to take this cup from me, and yet his mind is still available to Peter to try and instruct him to be strong and sober-minded, to pray at this hour. When Peter is being brash and falling into fearfulness, Jesus is there protecting Peter. Look at what we're told right before Peter chops the ear off of the guard. In John 18, 8, Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. That's an amazing thing. Jesus is being taken away in the arrest, and he commands his arresters, you leave my people alone. And so while Peter is, is flailing in panic, Jesus has circled him with his sovereign protection. And when Peter is in the courtyard in this bad situation, denying that he knows Jesus, we discover that Jesus even then is keeping watch over his disciple, Peter. Look at these words in Luke 22, 60, and 62. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Jesus is on trial. Jesus is being accused. Jesus' life is in the balance. And when Peter denies Jesus the third time, Jesus turns to look at Peter. Now this is something very important, beloved. When you read those words, and Jesus looked at him after that third denial, what do you see on Jesus' face? What do you think Jesus' face is communicating? Is it like this? I told you so. Is it Peter, Peter, Peter? Even you? Is this the, the Bible's A2 Brute moment? Where Jesus looks at Peter and shows great disappointment in his face? Is that the face that you see on Jesus? Beloved, that is not the reason that Jesus turned at this moment to look at Peter. This is not a look of, I told you so. 
Jesus looked at Peter at that moment, at the moment where, where Peter is most aware of his failure, of his disqualification, of his spiritual ruin. He looks at him then to communicate in his face, Peter, I love you. I still love you. That is the message that Jesus leaves with Peter. That is why he weeps bitterly. Because his Lord has stayed faithful to him even as he has been faithless. But the face, and I want you to get this, beloved, the face of Jesus toward you when you sin and you turn to him is still, I love you. Your sin cannot separate you from the love of God. How can I speak so confidently about this? Because when you turn to Mark chapter 16, verse 7, and the angel reports the the first communication to the disciples after Jesus' resurrection, he says, go to Galilee with the disciples and tell Peter, I will meet you there. Jesus singles out, Peter, I'm going to see you again. This is the voice of one who loved Peter to the end. Even in our failures, God's love continues. God does not stop loving you when you sin. God does not stop loving you even when you sin big. And Jesus is almighty. It is because Jesus perfectly shepherded Peter, who was weak and being sifted like wheat, that the words, your faith will not fail, were true. Beloved, the same Lord intercedes for you. The same Lord loves you without end. The same Lord holds on to you as his child. John 10, 28. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Do you see what this is? This is Jesus beating Satan. Satan, you want to sift one of mine like wheat? Do your worst. I have prayed for that one. I have put that one in my hand. And you will not be able to pry him out. Beloved, that word is for you. You are held firmly in the hand of Jesus. He is the good shepherd, and he will not let you go. But you must learn this lesson. 
You are not going to be kept by your strength, but by his. You will fail in yourself, but in him, you will never fail because he will never fail you. Put your faith in him. The enemy is mighty. Our will is wimpy. But Jesus is almighty. Beloved, the most important question to leave you with is this. Have you put your faith in him? Are you in his hands? Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by this sermon from River Community Church. We are a congregation of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church located in Prairieville, Louisiana, whose purpose is to help people live in and live out the good news of Jesus Christ. We welcome you to worship with us on Sundays at 1030 a.m. and to learn more about us at rivercommunity.org.